Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The theme for the for the day is equanimity, finding balance in our practice. And when I say in our practice, uh, I'm talking about not only being formal meditation on the cushion or the chair, but uh, our Dharma practice or our spiritual practice, uh, meaning in our life, how we can uh, find balance in our daily life, in the ways we get thrown. Anybody ever think of, have the thought, gee, it would be nice to have a bit more balance in my life? So um, what we do here in the, in the formal meditation, um, the idea is to apply it to our, um, to our engagement with life. And there are some uh, definite attitudes and principles to keep in mind as we cultivate this equanimity or balance. Uh, I'll say a few words about, about equanimity uh, and then we'll have some uh, formal uh, quiet time together. Uh, and the day, uh, I think the schedule has been posted as far as uh, sitting and walking and sitting and walking. Um, but each sitting what I want to do is to um, include another aspect of equanimity in the instructions. Um, not that you have to be a super meditator or that uh, it, it's not something that you have to um, uh, try hard. It's just a matter of keeping some principles in mind as you connect with your current experience and those principles or that attitude uh, can help support equanimity. So first, this word equanimity. um, Sounds very spiritual. Um, And what I'm, what it points to is this quality of balance. Uh, there are a number of places where equanimity is spoken of in Buddhist teachings. It's in many, many lists of the teachings. And if you're not familiar with this body of teachings, there's loads of lists. Uh, You don't have to remember all the lists. But just to give you a sense of the the place of equanimity uh, in, in the teachings... Um, it is in the seven factors of enlightenment. It's the last of the seven factors. There's mindfulness and investigation and effort and joy and calm and concentration. And then there's equanimity. It's the last one. It is one of the four divine abodes heart qualities. It's the last one. 
there's loving kindness, there's compassion, there's joy, and there's equanimity. There are um, ten perfections or paramitas of, uh, of the Buddha or of somebody who is developing uh, their own spiritual practice. Ten of them. I won't go through all ten, but things like uh, generosity and morality and wisdom and renunciation and uh, uh, resolution, etc., etc. And then the ninth is loving kindness, and the tenth, the last one, is equanimity. There is the progress of insight, the stages of of awakening, twelve stages before. Uh, one, the heart and the mind become um, profoundly transformed and free. Guess which is the last one? Equanimity. Uh, and the same way with the um, four absorption states of uh, jhana. Uh, and the fourth is equanimity. It's always in all the lists that I'm familiar with, the last quality that is developed before, um, in that sequence of cultivation and development. So you can see it has a, a pretty important place. Why is it the last? When the mind is truly in balance, then the heart can open and there can be, uh, you're not contending and having to sort out and grapple with things. There is, it's the precursor to the deepest peace. So as we explore and cultivate it, uh, just know that um, this is something really valuable that you're developing uh, both in your daily life, not to be out of balance, but also in your heart and in your mind to find more and more a peace within whatever is happening. As the Buddha said, there's no higher happiness than peace. The near enemy of equanimity in the the four heart qualities, those divine abodes of loving kindness and compassion and and joy and equanimity. Each one has a near enemy. It looks like the the, um, positive quality, uh, the supportive quality, but it's very different. It disguises as the positive quality. And the near enemy of equanimity is indifference or apathy. It looks like everything is okay. The, the um, quintessential expression of this is whatever. You know. It's cool, whatever. But really, oh God, you know. Who gives a darn? That's not equanimity. 
that might be a kind of attempt at not getting ruffled, but there's a place inside of us that is disconnected from whatever the whatever is about. Uh, and, um, and so it's important to see that equanimity is a kind of genuine engagement, but a, a place where the mind isn't involved in grasping or pushing away, but is simply spacious, allowing for everything to be just the way it is. Mm. And spaciousness is a, a really good word to keep in mind as you're cultivating it. Uh, in, in, the, uh, in those seven factors of, of awakening, the last three are all about different kinds of stillness. That is tranquility and concentration and equanimity. And I think of tranquility or calm as a kind of settled stillness. Concentration is a kind of focused stillness. And equanimity is a spacious stillness. That is, there's room for everything. That there's, there's not a contraction that gets thrown by whatever the experience is. So as we're cultivating it today, uh, keep in mind this quality of spaciousness. There's a, um, an example of this in the teachings that just is coming to mind. Um, the, the image of uh, putting a teaspoon of salt in a glass of water, and you drink that water, it's going to be really salty. If you put it into a a large, fresh pond, you put that same teaspoon in, you're not going to taste the salt. <clears throat> Hopefully it'll be clean enough for you to drink. But, um, but the idea is, with that spaciousness, what is so obvious and um, eliciting a reaction is not seen, because there's enough room for, for it all. And in the same way, as we're cultivating this quality of balance and spaciousness, we're just letting our heart and our mind be big enough so that whatever is here, whether it's uh, a pleasant experience or an unpleasant experience, there's a bigger container that can hold it all. The practice that we do here, (coughs) the main practice, is mindfulness, uh, which I'm sure most everybody here is familiar with. And mindfulness itself, in the moment that you're mindful, you are, uh, whether you realize it or not, cultivating equanimity. Because equanimity, one definition of mindfulness is um, being present for your experience without grasping at the pleasant, without pushing away the unpleasant, and without identifying with your experience as being my 
sadness or my joy or my whatever, but just this is a moment that is uh, arising and there's an awareness that can see it. If that last one is a a little um, um, difficult to, to grasp, you can just let go of it for now if you're new to the practice. But the first two of not grasping after the pleasant and not pushing away the unpleasant, in the moment that you're mindful, you are finding a center, a balanced connection to experience that's not going one way or the other. But you're still engaged with the experience. That's the thing. You're not saying, okay, I don't have to get involved. No, you're truly connected with the experience, but just not having that charged reaction of wanting or um, greed, wanting it to be more attachment to it, or of aversion pushing away. Okay, so with our practice here together, we'll be going through um, the instructions and with each of those variations of approaching equanimity, we're simply inclining the mind that way. So whatever instruction I suggest, don't feel that it's a chore or a pass-fail test, can I do this or not? You're simply inviting this attitude and allowing for whatever is here. You don't want to be out of balance in trying to find balance in your mind. So there's a kind of just gentle invitation uh, and uh, curiosity that, that helps a lot. Okay. So with our, our, first, um, our first period of practice, um, we'll be doing the basic mindfulness practice, uh, which is simply noticing what's here, just as it is with uh, an interest and a kindness and a relaxation. Um, and when the mind wanders, no big deal, minds wander. You just bring it back in a very loving, gentle way. That is the key to the practice. When you do try to pay attention, generally, unless you've been sitting for a number of days, generally your mind is going to wander. Um, if it doesn't, please come up and speak to me. I just want to know what's going on in there. You're not doing anything wrong. It's just what minds do. The moment that you realize that it's wandered, that is one particular aspect of uh, developing equanimity. No frustration. Don't take it personally. It's just, oh, the mind has been off. And when you realize that it's been off, instead of any kind of a judgment, appreciate the fact that you've just come back. There can be a kind of um, mm, delight in the fact that you're here again. Not with grasping, but just, oh, here I am. 
and you can let go of where you've been or how long you've been away, and you're just starting fresh and letting that return be done with great kindness and simply uh, beginning again. So right there in the, in the return, you're developing a kind of equanimity that's not having a frustrated response. And the other aspect of mindfulness that we can think of as developing equanimity is uh, when you are here, just seeing things as they are. You're not trying to make anything particular happen, a fantastic experience or, a, or getting rid of any difficult experience. It's simply noticing, oh, this is what's happening now. One teacher, Ajahn Sumedho, who's a very uh, inspiring uh, Western monk, simply says, uh, equanimity is saying, it's like this. This is what this moment is like. Oh, it's like this. There's some mm, annoyance here. Oh, and here's annoyance. Or there's some love here. Oh, here's love. There's an itch on my nose. Oh, itching on the nose is like this. There's a, a feeling of uh, delight. Oh, delight is like this. So with this first practice, we'll be particularly inclining towards, it's like this. Okay, with me? And the, the, the instructions begin with simply sitting here and knowing that you're alive and breathing. So I'll start out with uh, some formal instructions and then we'll um, and then we'll have some quiet. Yeah. So find a posture you can be reasonably alert and it helps to sit up. And think of yourself like a mountain. That's what uh, Thich Nhat Hanh suggests. It's a, a fine attitude to have. You're a mountain strong, worthy of respect, here for any changes in the weather. And at the same time, let there be an ease. So if there's any places of tension or holding, just allow them to soften. You might do a quick body scan through your, from your head, through your face, down through your body, torso, and down all the way through your legs. And feel a connection to the earth, whether from the floor or the chair. And just feel that connection and feel the support of the earth. And then take a few deeper breaths as you begin. Just nice deep breaths that connect you with that activity which is supporting you, keeping you alive. And as you breathe out, 
let go. And then at some point, let the breath find its own natural face, uh, natural pace. And just let that natural rhythm of the breath um, breathe you. And notice where you feel the breath most apparently in the in the belly rising and falling, or the chest, or the nostrils as the air comes in and goes out, or feeling your whole body expanding and contracting. How do you know you're breathing? You don't need to shut anything else out. You can let your mind be very relaxed and simply connect with the fact that you're sitting here and breathing. Make it like a game. There's no pass-fail in this. Just to see if you can be connected and aware of breathing as it comes and goes. If you like, sometimes people find it helpful to use a soft mental note of breathing in on the inhale and breathing out. Or in, out. Or if you're feeling the rising and falling of the belly or the chest, rising, falling. You might experiment and see if that whisper in the mind helps you stay connected but otherwise you can just be with the bare experience of the breathing. And whatever you happen to notice, if other things arise in the field of awareness. You don't have to push them away or pretend they're not there. If there's an itch on the nose, then notice that, oh, itching is like this. Or if there's other sensations that arise, then you can acknowledge them, let them be as they are, and then come back to the breath. Whenever you notice that the mind has wandered, no judgment at all. 
appreciate that you've just come back into the present and let that return be done with great kindness and patience. Begin again. Be present for your experience and let it be just as it is. If the mind wanders, bring it back in a very kind way. Whatever is happening, just notice, oh, it's like this. No pushing away. No holding on. Just a very connected, non-preferential attitude with this moment. When you hear the bell, notice the hearing experience. And then when you're ready to open your eyes or change your posture, let that be done with a a very kind and gentle awareness as you make that transition coming out of the stillness. And then the the next opportunity at practicing equanimity is just when the meditation ends, um, notice if there's any kind of report card evaluation, how you did or how you didn't do. Oh, my mind was kind of 
spacey or sleepy or restless or, hey, that's pretty good, I think I, I've got this or whatever it is, it just was what it was. You were trying probably as best as you could to be present and what happened was not really up to you. We can have all the noble intentions in the world and still our mind can be sleepy or restless or whatever. Don't take it personally. And just know, oh, it was like this. And let yourself feel good about the fact that you had the intention to be present. That's your end of the deal, not what happened. So that end of the sitting, both here and in, if you have a daily practice, really important so you're not either feeling frustrated or trying to measure up to some ideal that uh, is, is not realistic. It just is what it is. Okay. So now we'll uh, have a period of walking meditation. And it's a gorgeous day, so um, you can walk outside. Uh, if you've done walking meditation at Spirit Rock or on retreats, um, often people uh, go very, very slowly. Uh, here we are in Berkeley, and Telegraph Avenue might be the one place that, that you can just fit right in if you're going really slowly. Um, you don't have to be super slow. If you like to go slow and do the, uh, the typical um, lifting, moving, placing, then fine. Find a place that you can be uh, relatively feeling, um, feeling okay about that. But otherwise, I'll just mention it couple of things about the walking practice and, and then you can do it on your own. Um, it's very simple really. You're just walking and knowing you're walking. Just like you're sitting and knowing that you're sitting. Usually when we go for a walk, how many people like to go for walks? Okay, then you have everything you need to do this right. Um, when we're usually going for a walk, our mind just, it's free and easy. There's a lot of space and we wander all over the place. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, and there's, it's very actually uh, invigorating to just let your mind be free and easy. This aspect of doing walking meditation as a meditation is a bit different. <clears throat> In fact, well, radically different that is walking and actually knowing that you're walking. Um, so you're just inclining the attention, not straining, not trying hard, but just connecting with the actual experience of walking. So there you are walking down the street in a meditative way. You might go a little bit slower uh, just so you're not habituated uh, to your, your normal pace. But you're simply paying attention to the experience of walking. You can notice the feet, 
as they lift off the ground and go come back. You can go for however, whatever distance feels right, whether you're going for 30 or 40 steps and want to turn around and go back and forth, or you just want to walk around the neighborhood and not look so conspicuous. Um, You're just walking and feeling the experience of walking. You can notice your whole body moving through space. And if you're walking around the neighborhood, you might notice the sights or the sounds um, and just be with that. So it's, um, it's like, a, and as I said before, I like to make it like a game where you're not struggling hard or straining. You're just seeing how present you can be. And your mind will likely wander or think, you know, what's the point of this? Or whatever, wherever it goes, as soon as you see that it's wandered, come on back and actually feel yourself walking. Many people find it helpful also to use a a soft mental note. Left, right, left, right. If you're going slower, you can go lifting, placing, lifting, placing. Or if you're going faster, then you might just be noting walking, walking, and making connection with some aspect of your experience. Mm, There's no right pace. Go at whatever pace helps you be present. And whenever your mind wanders, bring it back. As far as the equanimity practice that you can apply to the walking, with this first walking period, it can be the same principle as with the, uh, the sitting meditation. Just notice oh, it's like this. Oh, walking is like this. I find it helpful actually to mm, just imagine being a a baby taking my first steps and just checking it out. Oh, this is what walking is like. And just being interested and curious. Um, And uh, let your body be relaxed let your mind be spacious, and simply notice what your experience is. And however it is, just allow it to be as it is and meet it with that very non-judging kind awareness. Okay, any question about that? Yeah. Yes. to open up different sense doors in the, in the walking it's fine actually for the for so for the purposes of the meditation uh, of mindfulness it really doesn't matter what you're paying attention to it's the quality of paying attention knowing that you're you're here so if you um, hear a sound or you're listening to the sounds you can just be walking and opening up to the sounds if you're um, noticing a, a bird in flight or a, a beautiful 
garden in front of somebody's house, then you can stop and notice it, but know that you're seeing rather than, oh gosh, I love those plants, and maybe when I get home I'm going to do something like that too. And yeah, Just know, oh, and here's seeing, and let yourself enjoy the, uh, the sight. You don't have to go figuring out what should I pay attention to next. There's always coming back to the very basic experience of, of walking right here. Um, so that's your default, your, your home base coming back. Any other question? Yeah. Say, say again. You do metta, loving kindness, as your primary practice. Yeah, uh, if you if you find that that's that's what you're inclined to do, that's fine. So th- th- there's an alternative to the basic mindfulness practice of cultivating loving kindness, and that can be a a really good complement to the mindfulness. Uh, so if you're used to doing that, you know you can't overdo loving kindness. So um, enjoy it in the space of supporting that open-heartedness so when you come back to the mindfulness practice there's that that kind awareness that you're bringing that's you you ultimately you're the one that needs to trust yourself and see this is what will be most supportive for me anything else yeah okay Good question. Um, we'll we'll, we'll uh, take about uh, 20 minutes for walking, and uh, we'll be ringing. I'll ring some uh, Tibetan bells, or somebody will ring some Tibetan bells around the area. So um, you know, if you're a couple of blocks away, uh, you probably need to monitor yourself. But you'll be able to hear the bells. We'll ring them outside around here. Okay. Yes, Linda. Yes, so um, this is basically a a day of silence, a day that you can be with yourself. Uh, So um, as much as possible to support the community, uh, just uh, use this time to to connect inside. Um, If there's, uh, I don't know if there, is there any room that's available? Do we, we talk about it? No. Maybe I could see people up there. I just realized uh, if people want to check in about their practice um, during the walking periods, I could um, spend some time uh, doing uh, some interviews. If somebody wants to check in about practice through this this walking period, uh, I could meet upstairs in the the balcony. Uh, just let me know and. During the day, I'll I'll see how many people can fit in for about 15-minute check-in or so. Okay, so enjoy your walking. Enjoy it. Don't try hard to enjoy it, but just <laughs> let yourself enjoy the fact that here you are on a Saturday in a beautiful day, and you're just being connected with yourself in the moment.
Okay, with this uh, meditation period, we'll continue with the the mindfulness practice, uh, but incline to developing equanimity um, through another lens. And whatever I suggest, if something has really spoken to you and you want to keep on experimenting with a a previous instruction, then by all means. Um, But um, just to play around with different dimensions of cultivating equanimity. And one central principle that really um, connects us with allowing things to be the way they are is noticing how everything is changing. Because as you tune into this reality of impermanence, then you see that holding on to any experience is completely futile and a prescription for suffering. If the moment happens to be a pleasant moment, enjoy it fully. But if you're holding on to it in a world of change, you're bound to be frustrated. If the moment is an unpleasant moment, um, holding on or being afraid that it will stay here is also futile. But to see that every single moment is new, you start to let go of your reactions and simply can allow in a whole other way for changing experience. And this is a very important understanding, not only in the formal meditation, but in our lives, rather than trying to get to some magical moment that you can stay at and feel, oh, now I've arrived, uh, they're always going to change. So I see practice more as learning to be with all the ups and downs of life and with all the changing experiences in life. So as we enter into this practice period, uh, we'll particularly... Um, let ourselves become aware of change, of changing experience. And I'll do a little bit of a guided uh, practice so you can um, just then do this on your own. So as you sit here, once again, come into posture that you can be reasonably alert and as well receptive and at ease. Feel that connection with the earth. Mm. 
meant to mention this last time, but uh, another aspect of the posture that can bring about spaciousness is to uh, sit with a soft half-smile on your face, like the Buddha's half-smile. This uh, brings a, a quality of spaciousness to the moment. Just a slight upcurling of your lips that doesn't take things quite so seriously. Good way to get some spaciousness. And within the breath, the breath is always changing. The in-breath turns to the out-breath. The out-breath turns to the in-breath. So just for a few moments, noticing how there is a process in breathing. It doesn't stop at any one particular part of that process. Continually fluid. And now you can turn your attention to other uh, physical sensations in your body. And this is another area that you can include in the meditation field. Just tune into what you're experiencing in the body right now. There might be pulsings and vibration and sensations here and there. Just open up to the show and as you're tuning into those sensations, just notice how it's changing in every moment. No controlling it. No need to manipulate anything. Just tune into the flow of continual change within this body. Now tune into the experience of hearing and see, explore change within that. There might be moments of silence, then moments of sound, sound of my voice or sounds in the room. Is coming and going.
sounds arising and passing all on their own. Now you can come back again to the breath. And let the mind be very spacious, as we've been talking about. And just open up to receive the moment as it is, whether it's noticing the breath and change within the breath, or noticing a sensation that calls your attention or being aware of sound or just noticing the continual flow of experience where one moment arises and passes and then another moment arises and passes and as you're sitting here Tune into the reality of change and realizing that there's no stopping that change, no holding on to it, no controlling it, just allowing moment after moment for that continual process to unfold on its own. Whenever you notice the mind has wandered, that's part of the change also in coming back and beginning again. Look at your experience through the lens of change. Notice what's happening now. 
and see how one moment turns into the next and the next. It's always changing. Find a balance within that reality. As you tune in to change into anicca or impermanence, you see there's no holding on to reality, no controlling it or manipulating it. Just allow yourself to let go and open up to that flow of experience in a very relaxed and allowing way is the natural unfolding one moment after another. So once again, when the period ends, just allowing it to be how it is. I'm uh, slightly adjusting the schedule uh, as we go go on, just uh, to include both the instructions uh, and to give you um, a bit of silence. Um, if you're used to longer uh, meditation periods, uh, 45 minutes or so, the next one will be a 45-minute period. Uh, but mostly we're doing half-hour periods because um, I find on a on a day long, uh, it's uh, it's a bit easier to um, to be present and. Um, 
<clears throat> with that shifting from sitting to walking, Tibetans have this expression, uh, uh, many quickies better than a few longies. <clears throat> so, um, and if you say, oh, I want a longer meditation, just try to bring equanimity to, to that. So with, uh, with this period, and we'll do another half hour walking. So next one will be more like 40 minutes sitting instead of 45. Um, once again, notice, uh, be with your experience, and continue through that, with that lens of change. Just noticing uh, as an interested, curious observer how... Things are changing all the time. Just as you walk past one house to another, it's different. A moment of breathing in uh, this spring day, and then the next moment of noticing the mind go someplace else, or um, feeling whatever sensations in your body changing from one moment to another. Just tune into it. There's nothing you need to make happen because it's all happening on its own. All you need to do, or the invitation is to notice what's happening and notice how one moment after another, it's all changing. There's a kind of freedom in that when you're realizing, oh, I don't have to control experience. I don't have to... Um, manipulate or make the moment happen. It's continually flowing, okay? And there can be a real um, enjoyment of that, that letting go of making anything happen in the moment and just tuning into the, the changing, unfolding nature. Okay? So, um, again, we'll have a bell uh, at uh, about just before uh, 10 to, um, and then come back and sit. Say so we'll have the bell at 10 to, and then come back and for that last one. Okay, so enjoy your walk. If anyone wants to check in about practice, uh, let me know. We can meet.
So with this, um, this period, we'll look through another lens to um, support the cultivation of equanimity. Uh, so far we've practiced just letting things be as they are and that attitude of, it's like this. <clears throat> and then looking through the lens of impermanence, how one moment after another things are constantly changing and there's no holding on to experience. With this period we can have another lens to look through, Uh, this being uh, the lens of noticing the the feeling tone of experience, what's called Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A, the the second foundation of mindfulness in the uh, in the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness, um, and this is a very also very powerful attitude that supports equanimity. In every single moment of experience, there is a particular flavor of either it being a pleasant moment, or an unpleasant moment, or what's called a neutral moment, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Um, That pretty much covers the territory. If you can think of anything else, let me know. Um, It's not that it should be any different than it is, it's just, and for one person, a pleasant moment might be an unpleasant moment for another. If somebody is playing, you know, heavy metal for some somebody that's, oh, I love that. And somebody else, ooh, you know, or Montavani can have just the same quality in different people, you know, whether it's music or visual or... Um, uh, sensory experience, we each have our own relationship to experience. So it's not trying to make uh, our attitude pleasant and uh, enjoying something that's not pleasant, or the opposite. Um, But simply to notice that in every moment, there is one of these qualities, and as you start to pay attention, you see, one, your relationship to experience that can be allowing, that can be okay with it being an unpleasant moment as opposed to um, complaining or feeling, mm, feeling frustrated. Or if it's a pleasant moment, you can experience it without needing to grasp more at it. But just um, if it's an unpleasant moment, that you can just allow it to be here. And if it's a pleasant moment, you can be here without wanting more. And also you notice 
how those moments are changing. Even though it might seem like, oh, I'm in a really uh, great mood right now, and there'll be many, many, many pleasant moments, but there can be an unpleasant moment right in the middle of that great mood. There can be a, you know, an annoying uh, physical sensation that just is there, and then it's gone. Or a thought of somebody that you're having a, a challenging time with, and it's there, but it's in the context of a much... Uh, more uh, pleasant flow of experience. So it changes. And the same way when you're in a not particularly good mood, there can be moments of pleasantness right in the middle of that. You know, maybe you have that experience where you're, you know, kind of grumpy and you see some acute baby and for a moment it's like, oh, isn't that cute? Oh yes, I'm kind of grumpy right now. I almost forgot, you know. So it's not as solid as you think. So as you're uh, doing this, uh, this period of practice, to just for a little while tune into the pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality of experience as another way to cultivate this quality of balance in relationship to experience. So first I invite you, you can just do this a little bit in a more formal guided way. Uh, first connect with your, your body sitting here. And connect with the earth. might take a few deeper breaths and connect with the breath. And now, in this moment, just notice what flavor of experience this moment has for you. No judgment one way or another. Is it a pleasant moment, an unpleasant moment, relatively neutral? And now, for the next few minutes, just tune into experience with that lens. Notice if there's a change from pleasant to unpleasant to neutral, just be curious and interested. And I'll be quiet for the next couple of minutes.
So if you've stayed with that exploration, perhaps you've seen how the moment can change in its flavor and that there is no no need to change the flavor, just not get caught in the reaction to it, to grasping or pushing away the unpleasant, but just allowing it to be as it is. So for the rest of this period, you can either continue that exploration, just noticing pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and doing it in a in a rhythm that's not too um, uh, too frenetic, but just checking in in a very um, relaxed way uh, every few seconds or so. Oh, what's this one? What's that one? Or you can go back to being mindful of whatever is happening, whether it's breathing or hearing or sensing, whatever, or noticing if you're in a particular mood, um, and just checking in, particularly if there's any kind of contraction of mind, either away from experience or around experience, and at that time, notice, oh, pleasant or unpleasant, whatever. So you can uh, just use that lens as supports you, either continual noticing or just from time to time when you find yourself having some subtle reaction to experience as a way to support equanimity and balance around what's going on. Tune into your experience through the the lens of feeling tone without getting into a reaction. Simply notice pleasant, unpleasant, neither. And just cultivating a, a balanced, allowing relationship to whatever is in this moment.
So before we uh, break for lunch, I um, thought I'd check in for a few moments, see if there's any questions or comments from the morning so far. <clears throat> and we'll have a time uh, towards the end of the day for more, more Q&A, more comments. Yeah, let's see. Maybe, um, Libby, would you... Thanks. And put it uh, right next to your lips on an angle. Yeah. Well, I realized... A little closer, even. Yeah. In this last sitting, that... Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's on, but, but it, you have to speak up. It's, it's, the volume is low. That I'm not sure what I'm feeling. Um, particularly like a sound, like the, that plane. It's not clear to me if that's, I feel, <laughs> uh, is positive or I want to, it's wanting me to push it away. I, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think everything can be neutral. But I'm, I'm more clear, I think, with my reaction to my own thoughts mm-hmm. as to whether it's positive or negative. But mm-hmm. not so much with the out, outer world. That's mm-hmm. just what I mm-hmm. observed. It, an interesting observation. Actually, there's a whole lot more neutral than, than we think. Um, and you don't have to go... Um, creating a response just if it's not particularly charged put it in the neutral category Uh, and if you can sense any kind of charge it's really uh, freeing to just name it as that oh this is pleasant or this is unpleasant which is worlds apart from this is unpleasant and I don't like it and I don't want it to be here. Whether or not you say that, there's that underlying reaction or this is pleasant, yeah. Bring it on. You know, just you, That doesn't mean to not enjoy it. You enjoy it completely, enjoy it fully, but just noticing, and this is a pleasant moment without the grasping. But for the most part, there's a whole lot that's just neutral. Yeah, what's that? You're doing it right. That, that's the important thing. Yeah. <laughs> or another way to think of it is you can't do it wrong. Because yeah. <laughs> you're not actually doing it. You're just observing what, what's there. <laughs> the doing is happening all automatically. <clears throat> Anything else? Yeah, hold on, wait wait for the, the mic. Uh, I feel like as the day is going by, I'm getting tireder. You feel like what? As the day is evolving, I'm uh-huh. getting tireder, and so it seems like you know more distraction thoughts and less concentration where, I mean, is it useful to keep doing that? Or is it at some point just useful to say, call it a day? It's useful to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it. It's very common for the, the energy to, um, to be low on the first day of, 
of any retreat. If we're just doing a day long, so this is the only day of the retreat. But if it was a week long or a month long or whatever, we're so used to operating on outside stimulation that when you sit and there's not much input, um, the energy can be low. Sometimes it can be the opposite. It can be very restless. But one of those two things are often happening. Here's where equanimity really comes in. Rather than, oh, what's the point of this? My energy is so low. I'm just getting more tired. Can you be equanimous around the lethargy or the tiredness? Oh, and here's tired mind, tired heart. What's that? Or the, the, the chatter keeps going. Yeah, when you're tired, the, the mind just has free reign and it goes on. When you can notice the mind doing that, can you be equanimous around that? Because in that equanimity, you're not taking responsibility for how you're doing. Oh, my mind is everywhere and it shouldn't be and I must not be doing it right or this is a drag. All of that is extra. It's just, oh, tired mind, chattering mind, and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah, one last one and then we'll have... So, um, as I'm going through the first lens of just, oh, it's this like is, this. It's like this. Mm -hmm. And then the second lens of looking at change. Mm -hmm. And then the third lens is through Dadanam? Dadanam? Vedana. Vedana. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, <clears throat> at one point, I was. Um, um, the third lens was really hard for me uh, because it's a feeling. It's um, something has a, um, um, I don't know, it's a grasping, there's a grasping aspect to it um, when, when it's a feeling. And then I, when I notice and I want to let it go. And then, so <clears throat> I am, the way that I did it was to going back to the, oh, it's, it's Just like, like this. That. And, mm -hmm. um, and then make me think, um, is there a progression in these three lenses? And like what's, um, if I'm practicing through these three mm -hmm. and, or not, mm -hmm. and what, what am I achieving? Okay. There, there, there's no hierarchy to this. Um, so I'm glad you... You bring that up. It's not like, oh, we're getting into more and more subtle aspects and now you're really doing it. Any one of these, this is why I'm, I'm sharing these different approaches, any one of them can be a conscious development of equanimity. And whichever ones or one speaks to you, use that. That's in your toolkit. Right? I, there's lots of different ways to practice. And you, if you see, there's, uh, this would be a helpful attitude to cultivate or explore. Oh, let's notice change. Or you can just, 
if you can have your whole practice, it's like this, you're doing fine. Because any moment, if you can just let it be how it is, that's the essence of the Vipassana practice, to, to see things just as they are. But with these other variations, one might speak to you more than, than another. So use, use whichever ones are, are helpful for you. And we'll have a, a couple of others uh, this afternoon as well. So um, it's a whole smorgasbord. You can take your pick. Okay, so um, with this period, I want to offer another approach to um, equanimity. Uh, remember I, I mentioned about uh, spaciousness being the key. Um, and um, want to offer you a, uh, a meditation where... Um, Mm, no need to, to write during it. We'll be just uh, getting into, into it in a moment. Um, where um, spaciousness can hold experience. And I uh, love this meditation, uh, which I'll do a variation of, that Joseph Goldstein uh, adapted from Tibetan practice. Uh, and you can see it on uh, Dharma Seed under big mind or big sky. Uh, and what it is is just a, a way to hold experience in awareness, the, the big sky of mind being the spaciousness that can hold whatever is arising in our field, whether it's sounds or sensations or thoughts or um, images or anything it's all held in the space of awareness. That is what is um, your direct link to experience. There is awareness that's holding it, and it's coming through you. It's not yours, even. What I often uh, like to point to is that it's happening whether you try to make it happen or not. As you, if you're looking up here at this form, can you not see if your eyes are working? Can you turn off your awareness and say, oh no, I don't think I'll I'll see. If your eyes are open, your eyes see. Or can you not hear these words if there's functioning organ and, and consciousness? No. The awareness happens all by itself. And it is always connecting you with life, with your experience, we can tune into or um, attune to the awareness that is holding experience. And this is uh, one way to invite equanimity. And maybe as we, as we do this meditation, if you're not familiar with it, um, you can start to apply it in other ways in in your life. So I invite you to uh, just come into a meditative posture. And as you 
as you sit here, um, just work with stillness. You don't have to be rigid, but just try to tune into and relax into stillness. Be comfortable as you do it. The stillness can be the um, the container for our experience. And as you are sitting here, first open up to the sounds. It's the sound of my voice or the sounds in the room. I'll have a a few other sounds that I'll add just to um, help you connect even more. The sound of silence. And as you're opening to the sounds, let your mind be open, wide, clear like the sky. Let the sounds appear and disappear in the open space of mind. mind be relaxed, impartial, and simply listening as the sounds arise and pass away. Everything arising and passing in the open clarity of mind.
Let the mind be soft and open. Receiving experience. Now become aware of sensations. See them as points of feeling, like stars in the night sky. Let go of the concepts of head or shoulders or arms or legs or chest. Just see the sensations as points of feeling like stars in the night sky. No inside, no outside, no boundaries, no separation, sounds and sensations arising and passing in the open space of mind. Keep the mind soft and steady and still. Allowing sounds and sensations to appear and disappear in the open stillness of mind.
Now become aware of thoughts and images if they arise like clouds passing through the sky. No roots, no home. Just arising and vanishing in the open sky of mind. Let the mind be soft and steady and still. No reaching out, pushing away. Just allowing sounds and sensations and thoughts Images arise and pass by themselves in the open stillness of mind. And look directly at the nature of mind. The mind is clear, invisible like empty space. Without color or form. It is but It doesn't tangibly exist. Just look directly. It contains all things, but isn't composed of them. Let the mind be soft and steady, still, without the slightest movement towards or away from any object.
Is everything appearing and disappearing within the vast space of mind? Allowing everything to be here, not moving towards or away from sounds, sensations like stars in the sky, thoughts and images like clouds passing through the sky. all appearing and disappearing in the space of awareness, the vast space of mind. Be the space of awareness in which everything arises and passes on its own. Sensations or sounds or thoughts or images all appearing and disappearing in the vast space of mind.
everything arise and pass on its own within the vast sky of awareness. Let the mind be relaxed and receptive, open to all things without reaching towards or pushing away. The next bells you hear in a few minutes will end the sitting. Until then, let the mind be spacious, receptive, open to all things as they arise and pass in the space, the big sky of mind.
<clears throat> so I hope that um, can give you some sense of a whole other way to relate to experience and that everything is arising and passing in that um, space of awareness. When you relate to experience that way, um, there's not anything that needs to be controlled or fixed. or worked with, um, it's all just here. And there, that spaciousness that we talked about with, um, as a, a hallmark of equanimity, uh, one can just relax into it. Mm. So we'll do a walking period now, and I invite you to, if you feel like it, keep Um, playing with this perspective. That is, as you do your walk at whatever pace suits you, natural pace is fine. Um, Besides being aware of the steps or whatever sense door uh, appears to you, tune into the awareness that's experiencing it. So there you are feeling the steps, but just like we did in the, in the meditation, be the awareness that is experiencing the steps or the sights or the sounds. It's like it becomes the, the context, the, the theater in which the whole play is is happening. Does that make sense? No. Any question about that or um, anything that needs clarification or want to share? Yes. If you so you you don't get a sense of what it means to be the awareness since you are the awareness. If you keep on tuning to the fact that you are the awareness, that's good enough. Okay? Just keep on sensing that. Oh awareness is or you are the awareness. And then everything is happening within that field. It's one thing to kind of have a conceptual idea, oh yes, I am the awareness, but a whole other one to tune into that dimension of reality, the underlying dimension. So if you're there, nothing more you need to do. Yeah. that you're trying to do within this meditation?
Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's, that's extra. So it's a, it's a good question. So she says that she's, there's a sense of trying to do something like be easeful, to do ease. And um, really it's a matter of letting go of any doing and ease is there. Letting go of any efforting and simply being interested, being tuning into what's here. So it's a kind of withdrawal of the effort and then ease or relaxation uh, just just naturally uh, naturally emerges. Yeah, we'll try to let go of doing the letting go. Don't try too hard, but just see what it's like to not do anything. Just, if you can, don't try too hard to not do, but just make no effort, no straining or striving to make anything happen See what is left when your uh, when your efforting isn't present. Okay, and uh, you know don't 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 make it too much of a project. Just keep in mind uh, non non efforting, non doing, and see what's here. Or as uh, Adi Ashanti says, no manipulation. That's one of his. Pointers, just anything else is extra. So play around with it. Okay, so we'll do a have a walking meditation and uh, just tune into the awareness, just be the awareness that's experiencing it. Okay. And uh, if anyone wants to check in about practice, then let me know. So with this last uh, sitting period, I wanted to offer another um, equanimity practice as part of the sitting, and then we'll have some some quiet uh, last part of the sitting. And that is the the formal equanimity practice that's done as a... um, Brahma Vihara or uh, um, heart practice in classical uh, Buddhist teachings. <clears throat> As I said, it's one of the the four 
divine abodes along with uh, loving kindness and compassion and and joy. <clears throat> and each of those can be cultivated consciously. It's like you're programming the mind and the heart for a particular attitude or quality of mind. And the equanimity practice is uh, really uh, based, rooted in understanding the law of karma. Because as you tune into the the unfolding of cause and effect, you see that there's a natural law, a natural way that things unfold that's not up to you to to control, but that things are unfolding because of causes and conditions. And so the... Uh, the formal practice um, has some phrases that one can um, can reflect on and say and consciously plant in in the mind and the heart <clears throat> and there are some variations of it as well but the um, the standard practice i'll say it it's a bit wordy and i'll share it with you. Uh, as we do it and then offer some other alternatives is um, I am the owner of my karma. My happiness and unhappiness depends upon my actions, not upon my wishes So this is really seeing that when you act from kindness and generosity and wisdom, that you are planting the seeds for well-being. And when you operate from attachment, anger, confusion, you're planting the seeds for suffering. <clears throat> so it's, it's all about um, the, the mind state from which you act. And you can say that towards yourself, or you can also uh, direct it towards others, having somebody else in your mind, uh, a dear friend or a loved one. And as you say, the practice you're remembering you are the owner of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depends upon your actions or your uh, patterns of mind, not upon my wishes for you. So that, in that way, you're seeing that everybody has their own karmic unfolding and it's not up to you to fix them. You can support them, you can uh, be a, you know, a good friend, but you have to ultimately let go of thinking that you can um, run their life. <clears throat> this is particularly 
useful when it's people close to you who you really care about, uh, whether it's a, a child or a loved one who you really want to see happy, but they're doing the things, doing some things that are causing more suffering for themselves. That's a hard one. You know, we so want to see our loved ones happy. And sometimes we can want it so much and think, oh, what can I do to change the way they think or the way they behave? And of course, you can give loving guidance and support, but ultimately, they are living their own life. So this is where the real rubber meets the road in equanimity, to let yourself care deeply, but let go of the control that you never had in the first place. So that's uh, one way to, um, to cultivate that experience of, of letting go, just by reminding everyone has their own karma to unfold. <clears throat> Other alternative equanimity phrases, just calling on balance of mind, that is, uh, may I have balance in this moment, is another support for equanimity. May I see things just as they are. <clears throat> or going back to that more formal, um, uh, your own, the owner of your karma phrase, at some point, um, it evolved for me in, in relationship to somebody that I was doing that for and realizing that I, I couldn't control their life. It was actually my son. And just seeing, I honor your life's journey. That's what it came down to me. I just honor your journey. And as much as I wanted him to not suffer, I realized that he has his own journey to, to go on. So, before we do that, any question about about that? We'll do it in a moment. Okay, so let's try it, and then we'll then we can let go of the phrases. Um, so first, mm, let's experiment with bringing to mind somebody that you really care about, who you really want to see happy and in having well-being, but just realizing that it's not up to you to fix them. And so bring them to mind, might have an image of them. You might get in touch with how much you really care and want to see them happy. That's basic loving-kindness metta, just wishing them well. Or feeling compassion for the difficulties they might be going through. And then working with these phrases, letting go of 
the control that you don't really have. You are the owner of your karma. You might say that internally. Your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions and habits of mind. Not on my wishes for you. And let that sink in, that understanding. We'll do it again as you keep them in mind. You are the owner of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions and habits of mind. Not on my wishes for you. See if you can stay connected to the caring but letting go of the agenda. You are the owner of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions and habits of mind, not on my wishes for you. We're using that alternative, I honor your life's journey. It's truly allowing them to learn the lessons that they need to learn in this lifetime. I honor your journey. letting go of any agenda. And then working a bit with those other phrases. May... I have balance 
in this moment. May I see things just as they are. May I have balance. May I see things just as they are. Now in the last half of this sitting, in these last 15 minutes, You can see if any of those practices that we've done today support you in that spaciousness, whether it's noticing change or noticing pleasant or unpleasant of experience or being the space of awareness in which everything is coming and going or doing the equanimity phrases, or simply practicing mindfulness and letting this moment be how it is. Whichever, if any of those support you, stay connected in this moment with that attitude of spaciousness, allowing of a kind, relaxed presence. If you want, you can stretch for a moment. Is it going to sit for? Have a little talk and discussion. Okay, so um, before I um, share some thoughts, I thought we could just first check in and uh, see what 
what it's been like doing these various practices or anything that's come up about this topic of equanimity. Just have a little exchange. And, uh, oh, well, but it's being recorded, if that's okay, too. So, wait, Libby will get it to you. Thanks. And put it right next to your lips like an ice cream cone. Um, I don't frequently meditate during the middle of the day, and I've been experiencing more torpor today than a record-breaking level of torpor. Um, And I was listening to your direction of trying to allow the experience and struggling knowing that you've also given instruction in the past about fixes for torpor. Mm. So I was kind of wondering if you could talk a little bit mm. about the onset of torpor and trying to stay on the chair mm-hmm. rather than fall off it. <laughs> okay, so some uh, antidotes for sloth and torpor. Mm. Uh, one is to um, sit up straight in your posture. Just, if you're feeling tired right now, just notice what happens if you straighten your back. And if you um, stand up, I'm sorry I didn't even, uh, it didn't occur to me to suggest having some some time for standing meditation, Uh, but that is a, a really fine alternative to sitting. Usually, Wake up before you make it down to the ground. Um, Taking some deeper breaths, really helpful. And it can be 20 or 30 seconds for an inhale. Holding it, I find holding it is uh, really helpful. You don't want to be careful not to hyperventilate, but um, deep breaths, holding it for a while, and then letting it out and holding it, doing that for a few minutes can be really helpful. Um, having your eyes open, um, not so much checking everybody out, but just letting the light in and maybe looking uh, straight ahead or even a little bit up. Um, here's one. Interlock your thumb and, uh, and index finger. And... Just let those, let your hands rest in your lap, but keep those rings from touching. It takes a little bit of alertness, and as you start to drift off, it's like a little wake up. Come on, come on back, you know, like that. Um, if you do, when you're doing walking, walk at a more uh, vigorous pace. You know, you're just you're trying to energize your body. Having done all of that, you still might be sluggish and sleepy. And that's where the kindness comes in and not taking it personally. So you have your mini nap and, okay, come on back refreshed. Don't start spending time beating yourself up because then it'll just get more exhausting anyway. But you can just play with it and not take so personally that mind state. <clears throat> That's in, 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 the, in the teachings, uh, you know, the Buddha talks about 
working with hindrances as objects of mindfulness. So whether it's uh, torpor or wanting or anger or whatever it is, oh, and here's this mind state arising. And the key is not taking it personally. So, good luck. <clears throat> Anything else? What about this this topic of equanimity? Yeah. yeah. Or if you have other questions. Okay. okay. Well, I was yeah, sort of on this on a similar line. I did most of my previous practice in the Soto Zen tradition, where you where you stare at the wall, mm-hmm. you know. And so I find looking ahead, I find I get distracted by the rugs, by the you know anything. Yeah, you know, my mind really wants to latch on that. Uh, mm-hmm. Have any suggestions for how to deal with that? Yeah, it's it's more a matter of um, instead of the mind going out or the awareness going out to the object, which is generally how we're engaged with everything around us through the visual field, it's more a matter of allowing and just letting the gaze be soft and just allowing the light in and just receiving whatever is here you can pick a spot on the rug or on the steps or whatever and just letting that open connection um, be there without and as the mind gets into concept of rug or I like that rug, I don't like that rug or whatever, you've gotten a little bit ahead of yourself and just simply knowing, oh, seeing is happening right now. And it's a matter of, like we were talking before, not doing, not grabbing, but just allowing, receiving the moment. And then if you find that you're visually distracted, One, either close your eyes, or two, turn to another sense door. So even with the eyes open, tune into sensations in your body, or tune into um, sounds. So you're just, you're not so visually, uh, the visual is not dominating your experience. You're just switching to another sense door. Your, the light will still be coming in, but you won't be so focused on the content. Um, and be really light with it. So look at, oh, that's what the mind is doing right now. No big deal. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, Susanna. Yeah. I really enjoy the... Um I really enjoy the sense of uh, getting in tune with awareness as this big kind of mm. open sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels really good with the physical sensation. And then I find that as emotion arises, mm. it's much harder to stay in touch with that, that it's sort of the emotion seems to come along with a story that is much more convincing of me of sort of I. Identity, and I get kind of caught in that, especially yeah. with difficult emotion. But um, in pleasant emotion too, it also seems to have a lot of story, mm-hmm. fun story with it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I was trying just at the end of walking to um, to pay attention to the physical sensation that came along with the emotion, and that seemed to help to to touch back in with the wide awareness. Mm-hmm. And that's that is the um, the main recommended strategy when you're just practicing mindfulness and an emotion comes up, we get caught up in the story, like you're saying, and you keep on replaying in it just every time you press that button, yeah, that darn whatever, you can fill in the, the blank. But if you can move from the story to the actual physical experience, oh, this is what anger is feeling like right now or this is what sadness or joy or wanting or whatever, then whatever is triggered it off, you're tuning into this old companion that's been with you all of your life. Oh, here's tape 17, anger. Okay, here's tape 12, wanting, whatever it is. And so you're just tuning into it and making... Uh, friends with it by just being interested. Oh, this is how anger is arising. How how I experience it. So you're you're right on in doing that. And when I offer these different suggestions, uh, different kinds of practices, they're not always going to work. They're not. Oh, the Buddha has uh, one discourse where he has these various strategies for dealing with distracting thoughts and and feelings. He says, and if this one doesn't work, then now try this one. And now if this one doesn't work, now try this one. So it's understandable that, um, you know, there's not one size fits all. If you can play around with that space of mind and just see the emotion arising from in within that awareness, great. You see the emptiness. This is just a mental fabrication that the mind has created. But if it's not available to you, then feeling the feeling in your body. Sometimes what I, I ask myself when I really am stuck in a story, I say, what story am I believing right now? Or what thought am I believing right now? And in that, it's like, a little bit of space from the story and realizing, oh, I'm just creating this story. And that can be, that's one way that you can have a, you know, not get so caught up in it. Um, or if that doesn't work, then you can do loving kindness practice or compassion practice, um, self-compassion practice. Are you familiar with the self-compassion, uh, you know, where you're just kind of, holding it oh wow this is this is suffering this is hard you know this is part of life oh may i hold this with kindness and compassion so it's good to have a number of different tools in your toolkit then you can see okay what's called for now and often you come up intuitively with what you need to. Like you came up with, oh, wow, I'm getting lost here. Let's come back to the body. Something in you knew, oh, that might be helpful. So a lot of the practice is starting to trust your intuition of how I can 
skillfully work with what's coming up now. So, well done. Anything else about this this topic of, of equanimity or the practices? Oh, yeah, Sinyan. I want to check. I'm not sure this is equanimity. <laughs> so in, I have a similar experience in the physical sensation. So when when I feel cold at one moment and I find myself shivering and start, you know, tremor. And so I tune into that sense of um, feeling mm-hmm. my skin, took a deep breath, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I felt I was with the cold, with the sensation. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not cold anymore. My, my tremor stopped. I, I stopped shivering. Uh, shivering mm-hmm. and um, so I asked myself am I still cold <laughs> so I'm not so sure am I denying my feeling or am I getting to a level that I am I am just where I am mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter you know I, I wouldn't say you're denying it uh, or you have to go looking for more cold so you can really be with it. You can see a lot of times in changing your relationship to your experience, it actually affects the experience. But you're not, it's not like, oh, I have an, a, a project, aha, if I'm just mindful of it, then I'll get rid of it. If you, if you try that, forget it. It's not going to work. It knows if you're trying to trick it. You know? So you just can see the, both how things can change and how your relationship to experience, when that changes, the whole experience changes. Not always, but often that's how it works. So you don't even have to question yourself, what am I doing here? Am I, you know doing something that's, that's, uh, that's, that's not skillful. No. If you can be curious about your experience and it changes, then be curious about how things change too. One more thing in what you're saying is when we're contracted around experience or in relationship to experience... Um, we are generally increasing the suffering. But when we can open and relax and have some equanimity around the experience, which is, you know, it sounds like was happening, okay, I'm not going to fight it, I'm just going to be interested and curious. And in that relaxation, you're, um, you're not adding to the, to the problem, and then it ceases to be a problem. So it's really just... Uh, fascinating to explore the whole the whole process and mostly noticing your relationship to experience being the key yes thanks Libby okay so I'm a yeah yeah, I'm kind of there's a, a part of equanimity that seems kind of normal to me. I'm like, yeah, for sure. 
accepting when it's raining and it's fine and you just move on and don't make it a drama. It's becoming increasingly difficult when it is myself. So there's certain things in myself I'm like, is there, do I have control about anything or about something, about nothing? Because if I do have control about certain things, then it's quite, if I don't get them, that causes suffering. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just thinking like, um, whatever, yeah. like the, the job I choose or the activities I do or the friends I have. Mm. Is that my practice, should it just be that I sit at home and practice equanimity and everything else will come? <laughs> Friends will come knocking on your door saying, oh, hi, it's so yeah. good to be with you. Yes, yeah, so automatically everything that comes my way will be right if I'm in the right <laughs> setting. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's, it's a good question. Um, equanimity is one of the factors of awakening and is one of the heart practices. It's not the whole deal. And I'm, you probably are familiar with the, um, the serenity prayer that says, uh, grant me the, the courage to change the things I can, the serenity to accept the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is the serenity to accept the things I can't change, and the wisdom to know when it's skillfully applied and when it's not. I fully believe and encourage people to get clear on their vision of what they want to create in their life and to um, really listen inside to the wisdom that says, hmm, this feels like a good thing to do next or this feels like the right friend to talk to or this feels like a person that I really want to somehow get to know. I'm drawn, you know. Or this job feels like the right thing to pursue or it doesn't feel like the right thing to pursue. You don't want to be so laid back that you're just letting life happen to you and you're, you know, at the affect of everything around you. So you want to be engaged with life and allow the unfolding to be how it is when you don't have much control over what what is here. So it's a balance between engagement and allowing and really listening in your heart. I believe you can hear the truth of what feels right in this moment. What's the most skillful way to uh, engage with this moment? So the equanimity is is the fallback of just things are the way they are after I've done everything I can in as skillful a way, so I'm not causing more, more suffering through that, but just really listening to the truth inside and then allowing. Does that make sense? Anything else about uh, the equanimity? Any of the practices? Yeah, Toby. This is kind of a follow-up for that last point, but... Um I find that, uh, just to use an example, like sitting with pain and being equanimous mm-hmm. with pain mm-hmm. is fairly... Um, I've had a lot of practice <laughs> with it. You have a lo- you've had a lot of practice yeah. with it, yeah. But 
um, acting. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about acting equanimously, because I find that maybe more difficult. Like, um, give me an example. Acting equanimously. Well, um, you know, like if there is a pain in my life that I do have power to change, instead of. Um, I mean, I know that passivity and equanimity or apathy and equanimity are not the same mm-hmm. things, but it um, it seems um, easier for me to kind of slide back into a passivity, I think, than to act from a place of equanimity. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about pain, you're not just talking about physical pain or... Both, I guess. Uh-huh. So, if something is painful for you and you want to respond as skillfully as you can, is that... Yeah, or if you have any tips about that, I guess, Mm -hmm. instead of just kind of, you know, I mean, practicing being with it, but also... Responding. Responding, it seems to be. Well, one one, um, distinction that I've always found helpful is the difference between reacting and responding and reacting generally has a kind of contraction in there or an automatic response that's generally coming out of attachment diversion or delusion responding there's more of a sense of enough space to reflect on what would be the most skillful way to, um, to work with this. So that takes a little bit more space and kindness towards yourself, towards the situation, and uh, wisdom, what's going to be the most effective engagement um, so that's where the reacting, the, the stimulus gets hit and the response comes out that's often not so helpful. But it might be first to get in touch with your pain and say, oh, this hurts, or um, I'm really angry now, uh, and first connect with what is here and allow it to be felt so that when you do respond, there's a, been a digestion of the, uh, of the dukkha enough so that the response is coming from a more balanced and more effective place. Um, so that, that means a little bit of either slowing down or taking some time to internally reflect, what do I want to accomplish here? You know, generally, we can, we can figure it out in retrospect. You know. Oh, yeah, instead of coming out with you rotten SOB, it might have been better to say, gee, something's a little bit hard for me now. Can we talk about it? Um, you know. Often, in retrospect, we have the answers. Well, if you can do it on the front end and say, what do I want to accomplish here, if it's, especially if it's an interaction with somebody else, 
and as the 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 guideline for interaction saying what's truthful what's useful in a kind way so that somebody can hear it and hearing your in getting in touch with your intention and um, with the right timing all of those things can go into a more skillful response that gets the result that you want and that that's where mindfulness and holding your pain with equanimity and all uh, allow you to get in touch on the front end rather than in retrospect. Um, does that make sense? Okay. Well, let me uh, just say a few a few words of uh, about equanimity. A few more words. Mm. So, as I've been saying since uh, the beginning of the day, it's so much about having enough space in the mind and the heart to respond skillfully, as I just was saying. And how to get that space? You know, we've been doing these various practices, remembering that things change, um, noticing how we're triggered, noticing what's going on within us. and But it all comes, or one way to think of it, is coming down to relaxing the mind enough so that it's not contracted, so you can see more clearly. Relaxing the mind. You know, you ever, you ever hear somebody say to you as you're kind of getting very agitated, relax, relax, and you kind of, feel like strangling them, you know, what do you mean, relax, I'm triggered here. Well, the trick is to give yourself enough space so that you can relax, not laid back like I'm on a beach in Hawaii, but just a little bit of space so that you can see a bit more clearly. Mm. There's what's called a... Um, the refractory period, Paul Ekman coined this term, when you get triggered for a while there, we're really out of control in our minds. We're just agitated, reactive, lost. And then after a while, you know, we usually come to our senses during that time, when you're in the middle of that refractory period, good luck. Mm. And mindfulness has been shown to shorten the refractory period. It's one of the benefits, major benefits of mindfulness, where you're not acting out of that contracted, agitated mind. That's where giving yourself a little bit of space to come back to yourself before you act from that triggered response uh, makes a big difference. But somehow to get, um, remind yourself, I am getting lost here. Time to come back to myself. And getting a wider perspective on things so that this present situation doesn't seem like it will always be here. 
And one of the keys to equanimity, one way I think of holding it that relaxes the mind, is getting that wider perspective. And that wider perspective, one way to get in touch with that wider perspective, it was one of the, one of the practices, is realizing that this too will pass. As freaked out as I am right now, or ticked off at this person, or frustrated, or annoyed, or whatever, I'm probably going to smile again. I'm probably going to laugh again. I'm probably going to shift my mood and look back and realize, oh, wow, that was pretty intense there. And somehow having that wider perspective gives you some space. So this is a a, a key to um, holding things with with equanimity. Another aspect that um, I find really helpful is to, if you can, allow this moment to be here. As painful as it might be, equanimity doesn't mean now I'm chill about it all and, you know, if I'm really equanimous, I'll be peaceful and unruffled. It's not about achieving some placid state. It's about holding it all with a great kindness and spaciousness. So, it starts with really acknowledging what you're going through. Wow, right now I'm going through a really hard time. Can I hold that with compassion and equanimity? Actually, here, for those who aren't familiar with this, I'll just share this mindful self-compassion break that Kristen Neff and uh, Christopher Germer, who put together this whole packaging of mindful self-compassion, share. Um, This is is the way I do it. Uh, Putting your hand, try this, put your hand on your heart. And just even in that, there's a soothing, there's a comforting, there's just a, a tenderizing. And then they have three three phrases, and you can make up your own to it, uh, it, whatever words resonate with you. But the first is just acknowledging what's here. Oh, this is a moment of suffering. Or, this is really hard right now. And then the second is seeing this as part of the human experience. Suffering is a part of life. And I like to think about all the people in the world who might be going through what I'm going through right now. So you don't feel so alone. And suffering is a part of life. And then the last, may I hold my suffering with kindness and compassion. So this is a moment of suffering. And this is hard. Suffering is a part of life. And may I hold my suffering with kindness. Just let yourself feel it for a moment. 
and let yourself receive the tenderness and also tune into the fact that you're giving yourself that tenderness. So that's one way to get some space within the very difficult. And that compassion has within it equanimity. It has, it's just acknowledging, oh yeah, this is what's here right now. Um, So this is allowing for it to be just the way it is and learning to hold it. Compassion needs to be balanced with equanimity in our, in our life. You know, there's, uh, compassion is the response to suffering around us. And it can be overwhelming when we really connect with all the suffering that we might see or that somebody is going through. Compassion needs to be balanced with equanimity. If it's not balanced with equanimity, it tears the heart. But if it's feeling the pain and just acknowledging, and this is how it is right now, things are the way they are, that's the, the, the magical balance where compassion, that real caring heart, also understands that this is what's here right now. How can I respond to it most skillfully? Mm-hmm. In, uh, in the teachings, there are called the eight worldly conditions, or eight v- the vicissitudes of life. Um, pleasure and pain, loss and gain, fame and shame and what's the other one? You say loss and gain, pleasure, pain, fame and shame and praise and blame. Okay. You ever experience any of those? (laughs) This is what the world is made up of right, at least in the human experience. And we're generally going for one and avoiding the other. <clears throat> Maybe you're not going for fame, but, uh, you know, we like to be recognized. We want to gain. We want to have pleasure. We don't want pain. We want praise. We don't want blame. These are the eight worldly conditions that we're all subject to, even the Buddha, who said, those who speak much are blamed, those who speak little are blamed, those who remain silent are blamed, no one escapes from blame. And he was talking in response to others trying to, um, uh, to discredit him. Equanimity is seeing, okay, this is part of the deal how can I remain balanced and not um, take personally when there's loss or when there's pain or when there's blame? If you know that you're doing the best you can, 
That's your protection, as the, as the Dalai Lama says. My sincere motivation is my greatest protection. So to just see, this is the, this is the, the, the task and the challenge and the, um, mm, the game that we're in. Okay, can I find my center in the middle of this all? In the middle of this all that I'm calling life. <clears throat> so, one way that you can enter into the game is exploring where do you, where do I tend to get off balance? And just to see that, where do I tend to lose it? And if you have a little bit of curiosity in, oh, is there another possibility here? then it becomes a practice. So I'll just first, uh, before going on, just ask you to uh, reflect inside. Go inside for a moment. And ask yourself, in your life, where do I tend to get thrown off balance might be in a particular relationship or certain situations. It might be in extending yourself too much and not finding balance there. It might be when you get caught in a particular habit of mind. Just when and where do you tend to get thrown off balance? And first, just acknowledging that in a very understanding way. And now, getting in touch with that, in your wisest moments, how do you come back into balance? How do you find your center? and come back to equanimity and balance in your wisest moments. Let go of all the other ones, the unwise moments. Just tune into your wisdom. And just reflect what helps you to remember to come back or to keep things in perspective. And you might envision whatever situation came to your mind and Imagine yourself in one of those wise moments remembering what you need to remember and giving yourself enough space to come back so that you don't act out of that confusion and create more trouble for yourself.
And you might just plant the seed now when this situation comes up in your life, you're simply going to experiment in connecting with your wise moment, with your natural wisdom, just as an experiment, as an exercise. Let's check it out. Get in touch with the Buddha right inside of you. She's right there. He's right there. And remember that whatever you might be going through, it will change. So, um, having gone through the day, sharing the day together, and we've done these various practices, whatever practice spoke to you or feels like it would be useful, whether it's tuning into impermanence or noticing the pleasant and unpleasant or being the space of awareness or remembering those phrases um, of... Um, I honor your journey or bringing balance into your life or simply practicing seeing things just as they are. Experiment with them these, this next, next week or so so it's, it's more there in your, in your toolkit. And particularly with if a situation came up that you're just going to use it as a chance to experiment with balance and equanimity, uh, then practice kind of becomes exciting. Not, uh-oh, am I going to pass this test? But, oh, here it is. Let's see. Let's see how we do There's no failing it. There's just, there's just continual uh, exploration as to a wise response. Okay? So uh, we can just uh, dedicate the, the merit for the day. Mm. And appreciate that you've given yourself a day to practice and get more in touch with the wisdom and the kindness inside. And any good that you develop in this day or that we've developed together, may it be shared for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all get in touch with their wisdom, with their goodness, with their love, with their equanimity that leads to true peace. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.